Welcome back to the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, your host here alongside Alita Miranda Wolf of Ethos. And we are finishing up Alita's episode with part three here. If you didn't get a chance to listen to parts one and two, make sure you go back. You can find those on our website, www.bridgingchicago.com. Listen to the other two parts, and we hope that you enjoy the conclusion of Alita's episode. When we talk about things like microaggressions, and I go into a company system, the most common microaggressions are around people needing to work harder or change some element of their personality or suck it up or not make everything about race all the time. And all of those communicate the same message, which is there is no external problem. The problem is you. You need to fix yourself because the only reason that you could ever struggle is because of you. And that's simply not true. It, it, the evidence doesn't support it. You know, if you are three times more likely to die of COVID if you're Black. And our language has a lot to do with that. I just have one thing that I want to share because I feel like it's helped illustrate that the way that we talk about things puts the onus on individuals as opposed to the systems that need to change. This was uh, an example. It's not exactly the same, but I've sort of adapted it from a New York Times article that recently came out on our changing language around social identity. So if we say something like black people are three times more likely to be incarcerated than white people, the question that might follow is what's up with black people. Hmm. But if we say prisons are three times more likely to incarcerate black people than white people, what's the question going to be? What's up with prisons? prisons? Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of why I'm constantly kind of pushing on this to say, well, is it an individual thing or is it a systemic or structural thing? Is it that you're working too much or is that companies expect you to work this much or they will find someone to replace you? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think those are questions that we've been afraid to ask because we feel like it's going to be put back on us where, you know, if we're saying, you know, is what's, what's the problem here? Is it in, is it the individual and the knowledge that they have or the drive that they have, or is it the company and the demand that they have on those individuals? And I think for me, I always assume that when it comes down to it, like the company is always going to be right and do what the company believes is best, which is true. Com- businesses are going to do what businesses believe they need to do to put themselves in the best position to compete. Right. It's, it's, I don't, I'm, it's, I'm not arguing that there's a problem with that. What I'm, I, I think for me, I look at it and say, well, if the business is always going to do what they feel is best, then who's going to look out for me? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, can you ever really believe that your supervisor or that your teammates are going to look out for you. I think that would be hard to believe if you look at the question kind of in that reverse, as you were talking about and saying like, what is the business doing to ensure that the demand on its people is manageable and is acceptable? 
because if you're saying what are you doing to make sure that you're meeting the business's needs versus what is the business doing to make sure that it's it's meeting your needs i mean those are two very different questions and for me one is a lot scarier to think about i will say this as a business owner right i own my own business i run payroll myself I have 10 employees, so small company, but I still Mm -hmm. run a company. Mm -hmm. And I understand the tension, right? You have competition between individual interests and group interests all the time, right? Because I may have one employee who really wants to work more hours. They might be really passionate and committed and want to put the work in and another employee who doesn't. And so There are practicalities of this that I like to acknowledge and that I understand when I'm talking to other business leaders, but I, that's why I am very much against shame and blame language because I feel that it is opaque on purpose. So when I talk to my team and we talk about dealing with unreasonable hours, which we do because we're consultants and because we're in this work, what I try to do is the first thing. I show everyone on the team my profit and loss statement and we practice open accounting and I show them how much everything costs and how Mm. much money we have and what we're going to do with the money that we have and what we would need to do to work less. And then there are plans that we put in place that allow for that to happen. So we increased our pricing considerably and it was actually good for us in the market because it, helped establish our credibility, but it also meant that people's hours on average did reduce down because we could afford to take fewer projects at one time. Would I have made that decision if I had been less transparent? Probably not as quickly. So this is one of the reasons why when I talk to business leaders, I ask, how are you being held accountable? What systems, what checks and balances do you have in place? Because I know that everyone in my company can see pretty much everything. They know how much I make. They know how much they make. They know how much our contracts are for. They know what our expenses are. They know what would be a struggle for us. And those expectations are set early. And I can genuinely say to somebody, if they come to me for a raise, if I have the money or not. Yeah. There's not politicking that goes into it. Now we might have disagreements over performance or like, you know, what level of work they're able to complete, but hopefully we're being honest about that too. But this idea about employee needs and how, what is the employee doing for the business and what is the business doing for the employee? I think that the business, the onus is on the business to actually answer that question on a regular basis and to be super honest about what they're willing and not willing to do. So I've never gone into a company and said, you have to make all of these changes and reforms that we have in place. But I have said, if you're not going to make these changes and reforms, you need to tell your people why. Hmm. And there needs to be a good reason. Um, It might be a reason they don't like. It might be a reason that they quit over. But I often have this happen. Um, I'll share this. I'll have company where I'm working with them and they don't want to present the survey data or the metrics that we've collected. And they'll say, but when people look at this, they'll see that the groups of folks who are most likely to leave the company identify as queer or people of color. 
and they're the ones leaving. We don't want folks in the company to worry about that. And I'll say, well, okay, you don't work at a super big company. Everybody can see when they leave. Yeah. <laughs> they probably think it's worse than if you put the data out there yeah. because yeah. they're going off of the few people they know and then multiplying that in their head, right? So what does not telling them really do? It creates a sense of power imbalance. They have yeah. to share information with you. You don't have to share information with them. And then you don't have to meet the needs that are coming up. So, um, you know, what I can say is I, as a business owner, have forced myself into uncomfortable conversations that I did not want to be in. And I have had to work with legal counsel because I've like shared too much or have to be careful because there are all of these ways in which being secretive and private and opaque are rewarded by our legal system. Mm -hmm. And... I know from my exit interviews and my retention rating and the people who are attracted to my company that that system is working. Mm -hmm. So there's also just this question of who is meant to bear the risk. And I ultimately think a business has more power than an employee does. And that's not to disempower the employee. It's just about size. And so that means that I believe the company is responsible for bearing the most risk because they can deal with the consequences better. Yeah. Um, I do want to, before we run out of time, uh, talk about your book that's coming out, um, Cultures of Belonging, Building Inclusive Organizations That Last. This is really interesting because, you know, diversity, equity, equity, inclusion are words that I'm hearing more and more from more organizations. I think, you know, places used to have, you know, diversity officers and now they have DE&I officers. Um, and so I think that it is something that that executives and businesses are thinking more about. Um, but can you can you tell me about the book, why you wrote it, and then what it provides to people or to organizations that are thinking about this or that have started to think about D, E, I, and now B? So Cultures of Belonging is essentially my life's work. It's a decade of practice, research, study, but really being on the ground and being in 100 plus companies. And I wrote it for two reasons. The first was I work with a lot of people leaders, employee resource groups, affinity groups who need a playbook. They have a lot of ideas and don't have a structure because they're being asked to build something totally new from scratch that there actually aren't blueprints for. And I wanted to give them all of the models and frameworks that we use at Ethos. I mean, when you look at our consulting practice, it's all there. It's all in the book. All of our new employees read it uh, because it allows them to do the work and assess and do strategic road mapping and implementation. So I wanted to make this as open source as I possibly could mm. because my idea of scale is helping as many people as possible. 
And that is true. And I know that sounds starry-eyed and idealistic, and I hear that all the time. But, you know, I didn't start this business to be a business person. I started it because I felt called to dedicate my life to teaching love and healing harm. And so that's the first reason that I wanted people to have access to tools and frameworks that would allow them to translate their ideas into actions. Because when we get called into companies, they often actually do know some of the things to do, but the order, the priority, the backing, the structure, that's what's missing. But the second reason I wrote it is because I wanted to reconceive of our company's responsibilities to employees, similar to what we've been talking about here today. What it's built on, this idea of R2P2, is recruiting, retention, promotion, and protection. That's our framework at Ethos. It's my framework that I use. And the idea is before the employee joins to their very last day, their best day in the company, their worst day in the company, there is a strategy, a tool, a structure to put in place to support them. And every single one of these sections, you know, you might think about recruiting, retention, promotion, and production and say, well, that's just basic people operations or human resources. Every single one is tied to social identity. And there are 12 social identities that I focus on in this book from a vantage point of, no, 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 we're not going to look at protection in terms of protecting the company against risk. We're going to look at what makes employees feel safe. So it's about asking different questions and developing those strategies and tools as a result. And so there are guides on how to lead healing circles. There are guides on how to check yourself when you're leading a performance evaluation. I have an entire decision tree in there of how to check your own bias before you ever deliver feedback. Because I want to be an advocate for employees inside of organizations. And I think increasingly, so does everybody else. Yeah. Alita, there's so many things that we didn't get to that I, I mean, I'm just like thinking as you're talking and, you know, writing down and taking notes and all these things. And I, and I think that there's so many more things to learn out there. Um, and I hope that people listening feel the same way. And so what I'd like you to do is, let people know how to connect with you because um, this is all just kind of tip of the iceberg stuff. And, and it's been, it's been so good getting to, to chat with you and to hear your story and, and thank you so much for sharing so openly about um, all the different aspects of your life and your work. And so I definitely want to leave people with ways to get a hold of you. So if you could um, share with us your, social media or, or how, however you feel, however you prefer to have people get in contact with you um, or learn more about you or ethos. Absolutely. Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Alita MW. Also feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. My name is Alita Miranda Wolf. My handle there is also Alita MW. Uh, lucky for you, I'm the only person in the world with my name. I've gone through <laughs> hundreds of Google search results to verify and have never found another one. 
And uh, you can always go to my website, alitamirandawolf.com, which includes all of my social handles, um, links to all of the articles that I write and speaking events, places where we can uh, find each other. It's also where my newsletter is. Um, I read two books a week and every month I list out the best ones. So if you're looking to add to your reading list, I am here to make the recommendations. I would love to offer that, especially I've got a big stack of books right next to me. I'm always looking to give recommendations and to receive them in turn. So those are a few places to find me. Yeah. And uh, if you're interested, you can always check out her book. Uh, You'll have to remind me of the date. I know it's February 2022 that your book cultures of belonging, building organizations that last that you can find on Amazon. And you can remind us of the date the book will be available. It's officially out on February 15th, 2022. It's available for pre-order now. If you pre-order, you will be getting some really cool bonus content on how to build your own DEIB strategic plan. So there is uh, an advantage there. You can find the book on Amazon. It's also, if you're not into Amazon, on Bookshop, Barnes & Noble, and a variety of other sellers. So I am really grateful to anybody who takes a look. It's my first book. Um, it's It's been a journey. It's been years, and I'm very, very excited for its release. Yes. Well, I will definitely be pre-ordering that, so I'm excited to get that um, February 15th, 2022. And um, thank you so much for your time. I know it's a great resource, and I know that, uh, that you've I'm sure you have a lot of people that that want it and uh, limited uh, amounts of it. So thank you for that. Um, We're always appreciative of our listeners. So thank you for listening to this episode. Um, And yeah, we just hope that you're able to connect and that you're able to learn and to lead through that. So thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solutions Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding. 